Well, we're starting a, a new series of talks on authentic identity. And uh, I, it sounded like such a good idea again when I was thinking about it well in advance, going, wow, we really need to talk about authentic identity. And then I realized it's such a philosophical thing. Like, and then this week I just kind of got stumped with like, I don't know if I'm that smart. Like I started reading things going like, this is pretty deep stuff. Like how do we actually figure this out? And yet I, I desperately know that our, our society is struggling with this idea of identity. And who are we? And, and the big question, I guess, is, is not only who are we, but how do we find out who we are? And where do we look? Where do we seek resources? And uh, often, you know, you get these phrases talking about how, um, you know, you just got to be true. True to yourself is a, is a great phrase. But what if you look in the mirror and you don't know who you are? <laughs> what if you look in the mirror and you get confused some days? Or you're, or you're just unsure? What if you have a bad day? What does that mean then to be true to who you are that day? And so I was reflecting on, again, what Jesus talks about in his teachings and, and how he, he helps people understand how important it is for us to, to know truth and what truth does. And In Luke chapter 6, Jesus talks about this. He talks about this idea of taking teaching, teaching from the Word of God, and making it really this idea of your foundation. He said, you know, I'll show you what it looks like when people take my teaching and they listen to it. And listening is not just hearing it, it's actually taking it and then follows it, he says, like puts it into practice. It's like a person that when they build this house, they, they dig deep and, and they lay a foundation on solid rock. And Jesus says, a storm will come, and storms will come, and they do come. And a lot of you experienced them just recently or in the past, or you're going to experience one. And when storms come, what happens is floodwaters increase. And thinking back in Abbotsford, of course, not too long ago, whenever there's puddles and waters around, a lot of you probably panic a bit. Because when the floodwaters come and, and the breakers come and the waves come and the wind comes, it comes against a house that's built on the foundation. And, and if you hear his words, you're built on a strong foundation. But if you hear words of truth and you ignore them, he says, and you're, like, you're built on a foundation of like sand. It, it doesn't have a foundation. And, and when the floods come in, it sweeps against the house and everything comes down to a crash. And maybe you've experienced that. I've gone through seasons in my life where I've experienced that. This idea of foundation and being true to myself. And what does that mean? What does that look like? And if I, if I think of myself in, in certain areas of life, sometimes that helps me for a season, but the next season kind of comes or a storm comes I don't predict, and it can take me right out. So how do we define ourselves? Do we define ourselves from how we feel? Do we define ourselves from what other people say? Sometimes maybe a little bit of both. And so what we want to do in this series is relook at what does Scripture say of who, who we really are? And what are the implications for that? And I think they're massive implications. And, and some of the implications are very countercultural to where our culture's at today. How I view myself in relationship to God, but also how do I view other people, who they're created to be, and how that impacts my relationship with them. 
And one of the things I want us to be careful of is this, that we don't take what God is saying to us about how we live and then try to take it into the world and kind of like force the world to live contrary to their own foundation. I think what's most important is this, that we understand the foundation of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, that we know what that means, that we're for something, that we don't leave and go, this is now what we're against in the world, because there's going to be plenty of opportunity to see that. The question is, are we on the right foundation? Because I think we're in a different place in society where <laughs> we're living in an age where the way that the Bible describes humanity and our identity and our belonging, our significance, is completely, radically actually different than the majority now. And so we need to make sure we have the foundation because we're actually in a storm. <laughs> we actually are experiencing a storm. And so instead of yelling at the storm, I think what's really important is that we first know that we're building on the right foundation, especially for our children and our young adults, our young families. And so this whole idea of identity, what is identity? Identity comes with all kinds of things attached to it, actually. It's all about your who you say you are and, and where your value comes from. And so what defines us? And so I have my name. My name is Sean. And, and people, that was already bothering some people. So now I've said it. I can take it off. It's like, you have a name tag on. You have a name tag You know you have a name tag on, right? Did you forget that? You have a name tag. I think I do. And you're going to have one soon too. Uh, make you suffer like me. But I have a name tag on. My name is Sean. And that's a piece of who I am. I didn't pick that, actually. I didn't get to choose that, right? That was given to me. That was my name given to me. It's, it's in a sense, you could call it a label that we put on. It's, it's one of my markers. And so often when I introduce myself, right, I introduce myself, I'm Sean. Some people will even ask me, what, what do we, how do we call you? What do we call you? Do we call you pastor? Do we call you Sean? Do we call you... Oh, great teacher or something like that. No, no one's ever said that. <laughs> it's like, I'm always like, no, I prefer Sean. Like, that would be great. Just call, call me Sean, right? It's my preferred, I guess, identity in a sense. But there's other times when, when you get to know someone, what comes up right away in your conversation? What else defines you? That's not just all that defines me. So if you're meeting someone, you hang out with them a bit, you go for coffee, you start talking to them, other things will come up that define you, Right? And guys, one of the first things we always ask each other typically is, so what do you do, right? What do you do? What do you do? And, and it's a lot of what defines us. It's what we do. It's a big deal. And sometimes when we meet young people or somebody, we're like, well, who do you belong to? <laughs> like, like where, where'd you come from? Like, where are your parents or who are your grandparents? Or I need relational kind of navigation for understanding who you are. And so often women will refer often more relationally and they'll explain who they are in relationship to other people and that's identify themselves. We have all these kinds of different kind of labels. And, and I started thinking about some, you know, I could, I could define, sometimes I say, you know, I'm, I'm married. It usually is one of the labels that comes up fairly quickly. My wife always appreciates that. I panicked, although last night I took my ring off and uh, I was working, working out. We have home gym and I take it off because metal on metal feels horrible. So I took it off and I, I could not find it all day. So this morning I'm like, the first thing I'm going to say is I married God. I can't find my wedding ring. This is not a good day. 
And uh, I remember back when I was a little kid, side story, I just, I lost my hamster, and I prayed that God would help me find my hamster, and I literally found my hamster, and that was a moment, I went, God, remember that day you helped me find my hamster? Well, this is a silly thing, but I need to find my ring, and, and right away, I was like, oh, it's right there. So that's good. Got my ring back on, honey, we're all good. So I'm married, and I got a ring to prove it, so that comes up. Um, I'm a father, so often that's identity. You know, my kids are at the age where I'm not typically embarrassed of them, so I tell people I'm their father. That's good. It's always good when that happens. I'm a son, and my, my mother and dad are watching online, and so I, I'm a son, and often I'll introduce myself or in relationship to that, oh, I'm the son of so-and-so, and, and, and that really helps, but, you know, I'm a pastor's kid. I, that was a label that, you know, people loved to say about me when I was young. You're a pastor's kid, and I hated that one. I was like, I'm not I'm a pastor's kid. It's not by choice. You know, I didn't want that one, and so that one bothered me a lot. You know, yo, you're the pastor's kid. You're the pastor's kid. As a pastor's kid, I don't know if you should do that. I had a lot of people tell me off and say, as a pastor's kid, you know, that's not proper behavior. And so I would go out of my way to do all kinds of things that bothered them because that was my personality. So I had the loudest stereo I could in my car. I revved my engine the loudest in the car parking lots. I did donuts out there in the church parking lot. I, my dad still had a job, so I'm not sure. Um, I'm a brother. You know, I'm part of my identities there. Um, let's see. I'm a grandson. I'm a friend. I'm a friend of some people. Um, I'm a pet parent. I found that out, that you just don't have dogs anymore, but you're actually a pet parent. That one's hard to handle. I didn't plan on having that. Uh, husband, co-worker, uh, clergy. Some people love that one. Um, that's always the one when I go to the hairdresser and they want to know I'm a boss. Some days, some days, they, they treat me like that. I'm a leader. I'm a counselor. I'm a customer. I'm a fill-in speaker guy some days, and I just kind of, I kept going. I'm thinking, like, I can't go through the all. I'm a neighbor. I'm a, I was a coach, soccer coach for many years, a teacher, pastor again, reverend. Ooh, that was special. Never wanted to be called that. Um, I was a CEO of my own company. Uh, I guess I still am. I'm a Christian. That's a good one. That comes up some days. Um, Canadian, you know, on male, for those that are current, cis male, I guess, is the way it goes now. Uh, Sometimes I'm seen as young, young. Some people, I had a guy say that. It was great. He was, you know, 94. So he said, wow, you look really young. Me and my wife were there. You look like teenagers. I felt really good. So I, I'll keep that one and put it right here. I'm young. Uh, and then my kids go, man, you're old. I'm like, ugh. So that's not good. So on and on, you know, I, I have my disc formula here. That's part of my identity. I'm an, you know, introverted and all those other things. Sometimes I'm short. Do you know I'm the shortest of my whole family of cousins? And some people think I'm incredibly tall, Stefan. I'm pretty tall, right? So, you know, I've been called I, weird names. You know, someone called me a goose once. You're a goose. I'm like, random. For two years, I was called a goose. I, I don't know how that happened. Uh, attitude in college, I know how that happened. They made me a shirt and made me wear it. You have an attitude, here's your shirt, wear it. Um, all kinds of things. I'm known sometimes as a fit guy, not lately. Um, on and on and on. And so... How do I let this impact me, right? Some of these I love, some of these I hate. Some I pursue, some I run away from. There's some things you want to be known for and maybe you can't get there. Maybe it's limited to you. Maybe you want to be married and you're not. And not having that identity bothers you immensely. Sometimes marriage breaks down and you got the label you're divorced or you're separate. And that just is 
you just want to get rid of that. It, it irritates you. It bothers you. Um, some of you want to be a parent, and you can't. Some of you had someone pass away in your life, and it's changed your identity. And so Mother's Day or Father's Day coming up hurts. And so identity is something that happens to us. It, it's something we, we choose. It's something we don't choose. I guess the question is, how do, how do you use your identity as a foundation or not? Is there good ones? Is there bad ones? In our society right now, there's so much confusion on who we are and who we could be. Seems to be endless possibilities in some ways, and yet we're all kind of, you know, put in boxes at the same time. Oh, you're one of those, you know, and all of a sudden, what does that, what does that mean? So there's all kinds of labels. There's all kinds of tensions when it comes to labels, good and the bad and ugly. And so what do we do? What do we build a foundation on? Because some of those, those labels that I even spoke about, they've, they've impacted you in different ways. And, and there's times where someone has said something and it, it shook you to your core. And it can be so polar opposites. It, it, it's like, you know, I've been called overweight. And you're like, wow. And then I've been called, you're too skinny. And it's like, wow. And... And those little things can be a little thing for some and a devastating thing for another. And so my, my hope in all of this is that we would, we would at least refine in our lives that all these labels, there's good and there's bad in there, and some of them are, you know, worth being proud of. That's not the point. But foundationally, the question is, who are you? Because most of those things will come and go. Most of those things come and go, and you can pursue them, and by the fact that you even get to a certain level, and you feel like it's going to bring you meaning, when you arrive there, often that label or that identity that you seek can be so disappointing that it actually can take you out. We're not the first ones, you know, we're not the first ones to struggle with meaning, identity, and what's the meaning in the life. And we can get in those spots, and, and our world is struggling for identity at the same time as we've never experienced oppression like ever before. And so we want to wrestle with that, and we want to find out what defines us, and who, who are we in God's eyes? And will, will we allow that to not only define us, but actually how we define other people and what we value? Because identity has a lot to do with value. So I was, I was reading a book that can often, actually it's a book in the Bible that can kind of make people depressed. <laughs> so I don't know if you've read it. A lot of people don't read it very often. But it's, it's the book of Ecclesiastes. And King Solomon decided that he was at a point where life was kind of frustrating and life was disappointing. Life seemed a little bit vague and purposelessness. And you're like, what's going on? He's a king. I mean, he had all this authority, all this power, and yet he was struggling with meaning in life. And so I want to give you a snapshot. I, I read it over again last night. I'll give you a snapshot of some of the things he decided to do. What he decided to do in, in Ecclesiastes 2.1, he says, look, I decided I'm going to enjoy life to the fullest. I'm just going to go for it. I'm going to find out what makes life meaningful and full of happiness and excitement. And I, he basically was saying this, I have the resources 
and the freedom and the ability and the time to find out what in life satisfies. Wouldn't that, some of us are like, man, that would be great. And so you dream about maybe that opportunity, maybe you dream about getting the lottery or being in that position where you could have enough space and time, resources and ability to find out the full extent of what life can offer. Well, he did. He actually had the ability. And so when he went first, as he, he said he talked, he tried out knowledge. And so he became, uh, you know, studied and read and wrote. And, uh, of course, he prayed for God to make him wise. And, and God blessed him with wisdom. And so he devoted himself to understanding and exploring the truth and philosophy. And he became more educated than kings in that whole time frame. He had more awareness and more understanding. What he found out is the more that he pursued education and knowledge, the more discouraged he became. More full of grief he became. And I know some people will think, you know, if I only got that degree, if I only got another degree, if I went and got that thing, I think I, think I would understand more about meaning of life. And he's like, no, it didn't work. It was, it was worse. And so then he went off and he said, well... I, I decided I became greater than any other king, and so he sought these things out, and he built cities, and he built walls, and he learned, he built roads, he did infrastructure like no other king before. He was known as a great builder, of course, he built, he built the temple, but he built cities and fortified them, and all kinds of uh, roadways and systems and trade, and he developed great trade system in all the kingdoms of the area. He became highly, highly successful. And yet when he stopped at the end and he looked at it all, he says, but in my success, it still felt meaningless. It didn't feel like it was able to give me meaning. In 40 years, he reigned as 40 years, one of the longest kings, and avoided war. Complete peace in the region, well-loved, figured out the taxation system down to a T, <laughs> had unity in the kingdom like no other king was able to experience and still did not find it satisfying. Well, then he had wealth. I mean, <laughs> I started searching and, and, and researching a little bit about his wealth, and these are some of the things he said, which is hard to believe. He owned more livestock than anyone else, which you found out had to be true because it's recorded, do you realize it's recorded that to feed his household, so his household were his wives, we'll talk about it in a second, a lot of those, and kids, but his household, so all his servants and everything else, it's recorded that he had to slaughter 20 cows and 10 oxen and 100 goats or sheep every day. Every day to feed these people. And so he had all kinds of wealth. He actually, he actually in, in his palace, made his room in such a way that he could have a... They didn't have iPods or Google Play or anything like that. So he built an orchestra pit in his bedroom so he could have choirs kind of come and sing them to bed at night on shuffle, I think. And then they slowly just got quieter and quieter and slipped out the bed. I don't know how it worked. But it was insane. It was insane how much he had. It took 14 years for him to build his house. Some of you like horses. I noticed that. So he had 14,000 trained horses of his own ready to go. All of his cups, it says. All of his cups, all of his plates, 
all of his cutlery, and everything he touched was gold. He had six steps to his throne, all gold. Everything was gold. Every cup he drank, out of, everyone drank out of in the kingdom was gold. He had so much gold that silver became about the same worth as rocks. That's what's recorded. I can't remember how many tons, but he had shiploads of gold being sent to him constantly from other kingdoms around. So he was wealthy. In fact, you do the, the research on it of today's wealth. If you think you guys like um, Elon Musk, I mean, you know, Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos and those kind of guys. I mean, we're talking they had in wealth today. They, they change all the time with the stock market, of course. It's hard to find. But somewhere between $100 billion and $300 billion are the most wealthiest, wealthiest top 10 top 10 people in the world today. Between 100 billion and 300 billion. If you took um, Solomon's wealth today, it's around two to four trillion dollars of wealth is what he accomplished. And scripture said, there's no one else has ever been as wealthy or ever be as wealthy as him. So he had, he had all that, and yet when he looked at it all and all that he did to accomplish all of it, you can imagine having as much as you can get, it just became all meaningless. It just became meaningless, so that didn't do it. Pleasure, well, he tested pleasure a lot. And laughter, he tried cheering himself up with wine and parties and having a good time, acquired himself a little harem, a lot of wives, 700 of them. I'm not sure, somewhere along like 542, I think he would have figured out it's not going to make him happier, but he pressed on. 700 wives, and so he, he, he went and gathered 300 extra um, concubines on the side. Maybe they, you know. So a 1,000 women he was sleeping with, literally. I mean, let's be honest. He says he, he denied himself nothing. Everything his eyes desired he took. He refused his heart no pleasure, but it proved to be all meaningless. How disappointing. At the end of the day, at the end of the day, his conclusion is this, fear God, which is the Old Testament way of saying, put God in his place. Revere him, awe him, honor him, worship him. Put him in the right place and put yourself in the right place. Align God in the right way. And that's what the fear of God means. That I choose to put him here and I understand where I'm at. Everyone's duty is to obey God's commands and put God in his place. God will judge us for everything we do, whether it's in secret or not, whether it's good or it's bad. Remember back, I have a part of it here from Romans chapter 1. When we studied Romans, the first thing it talked about when it came to society was when the breakdown of society comes... It said this in Romans 1, they, they wouldn't worship God. So they, didn't, they wouldn't put God in his rightful place. And when people won't put God in his place or give him thanks, that's part of your worship and praise. That's why, we come, that's why we come together, in case you didn't know. We come together and we sing. We sing, we worship, we worship with our lips and our posture and even our resources. We, we come every week to remind ourselves to put God in his place. That's what worship is, to revere him. And he says, when people stop doing that, and, and you look at society, and we, we, if we stop doing that, stop reminding ourselves who God is and who we are, it says, then thinking becomes foolish. 
And then the ideas of what God is like get distorted. Who is God and what is God like? And all of a sudden, you see our society today seeing God as not a loving God, not as a just God or a righteous God, but actually as an enemy, an enemy of who we are trying to become. That God's an oppressor or an oppressive thought. If you, if you believe in God, then you're one of those oppressors of people. It's interesting. So it says as a result of not worshiping God, our minds, or it says their minds, but let's be honest, our minds, our society's minds become dark, confused. We claim to be very wise. I mean, I just think our society right now, this is exactly it. We're claiming to have wisdom, wisdom from within. So it's not that we just get confused. It's that in our confusion, we actually start believing that we're smart. We're wiser. We're just becoming more aware. And so instead, they become what? Fools. Since they thought it was so foolish to acknowledge God, worship God, he abandons us. He abandons them to foolish thinking and lets them do things. He lets them go about their way. He lets them try to figure life out and identity and meaning and belonging. And their lives become full then, full of wickedness and sin and greed and hate and envy and murder and quarreling and deception, malice, behavior, gossip. You just see all the results. What happens is we start to turn on each other. When we become God, that means how I feel and how I think and how I perceive world becomes God. I become God. And if I become God, then anyone who disagrees with me or sees life in another way becomes my enemy, becomes my problem. And so it divides us and conquers us. And so we in the church, we need to line ourselves under who God is. And so the big question is for identity to be true to yourself, for us to be true to ourselves, is this. Is this something that we acknowledge is designed? So is our truth of who we are designed or discovered? And that is the fundamental difference, I believe, for those who want the Bible to be their authority. That we believe that we were designed with an identity. We were designed with the image of God. We were designed to be in relationship with people. And it's not for us outside of a relationship to discover, because if we go about that way, we'll become fools and foolish. And what we think is wise to God becomes ridiculous in a lot of ways. And I believe this is what's happening in the world around us. And so our objective then, again, as I said in the beginning, is not to go, aha, you see how foolish they are, but it's to make sure that we are sure-footed, sure-footed, so that the foolishness of the world around us does not distract us from who we are meant to be and who we are called to be. We are designed by God for such meaning and such purpose. And if you don't acknowledge God, I've done a little bit of, little bit of reading around Bertrand Russell. He's a British atheist, well-known and he basically has to come to the conclusion, unless you assume there's a God in the universe, the questions of life's purpose actually ends up with meaninglessness. There, there is no purpose outside of that. And so he would say, so what you have to do is, is try to create a purpose. 
And I was reading a little bit, and he says, so purpose then or meaning comes from what we can do again, what we can create, what we can sustain, what we can uh, achieve through pursuits of, and this is some of the funny things. I didn't connect these dots before, but I read this, and he literally says the same things that Solomon went to do. He says, so then meaning and purpose will be found in the pursuit of knowledge, the pursuit of beautiful and beauty and, and, and uh, success and fulfillment of what you can accomplish. This is where you'll find meaning. And then we just read, but Solomon said he had every opportunity to expand that to the fullest. But at the end of that, without acknowledging who God is and who we are, there's no meaning in it. And so, of course, we have to choose then to believe that. <laughs> Some of us aren't convinced. Like, well, I want to taste a little bit of that. <laughs> like, let me taste a little bit of, you know, success or pleasure or, you know, a little bit of the, the wealth, and then I'll assess it for myself. <laughs> but that's the thing about wisdom, wisdom information, wisdom knowledge that Solomon had and wrote down. I love the book of Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and some of the wisdom knowledge is that the heart cry of, of someone who, who pours out wisdom. And so if you look at, at Proverbs, for example, the heart cry of Solomon to his kid is, please believe me and don't learn the hard way. <laughs> you don't have to learn everything the hard way. Did you know that? You don't have to learn it all the hard way. You don't have to give your entire life's work to something to find out at the end of it it's meaningless. You can learn from the wisdom of before. And so that's the heart cry of wisdom. So who am I? And a, a, another question, I think, as we're going to start in this series. So this, this is just an intro into why this is so important. I think when I start with who I am I, I actually already am off track. One thing that we recognize in, in the truth of Scripture is it's a better question to start with who are we? Who are we? And sometimes, yes, we want to find out how, do, how does myself or my uniquenesses have an expression. But if you start from self yourself and look in the mirror and say, who am I? I think you're starting a way, way, way down the road at a wrong spot. And so we have to back up and we have to start with, who are we? Who are we? Who are we created to be? Who is humanity? What does God say about why we exist? And we start with that, and we build the foundation there. That's actually the foundation. And then I do believe, we'll get into this series in a little bit later on, that we'll look at, so there is a uniqueness about you that we can celebrate. We can celebrate how God has designed you, particularly your gifts and your abilities and your passion and your personality and all the experiences he's given you. And there's a uniqueness there that God actually gets excited about you exploring. But you have to back up first and understand there's a foundation first. Of what that all that comes down to, in other words, who you're supposed to be as people, as the church. And so when we come into relationship with Jesus Christ, the first thing we find ourselves, he places us in the church. And so again, it's hard to find an individual identity without understanding that we belong to a community. We belong to a purpose of a community. And so from that foundation, we can actually explore into some of the uniquenesses. The psalmist says this in Psalm 8. It says, when I look to the sky and I see the work of your fingers. So in other words, when I look out there and I recognize a little bit of Romans 1 language. And I look at creation. 
and I see the expanse of who God is. Do you ever just do that when you're driving through the mountains or something like that? And you just have that kind of moment where you stop and just look around and just get a little bit overwhelmed? The psalmist says, when I stop and I look up, I mean, we got, I got people who love space and you see the telescopes and the expanse of the universe. You just think about that. He says, when I do that and I see all this going on, he's baffled by the fact that as mere mortals that God actually thinks about us. The psalmist recognizes there's something unique about us as humans that God is mindful about, that God actually thinks about us, that he knows us. Who are humans that you would care about them? What is, what is different about us? That's a great question that you need to wrestle with. What is it? What is it about us that makes God mindful of us? In other words, think about you. What makes God think about you? The psalmist says those things. You know how amazing that is? He says, God's thoughts about you are too, too numerous to count. His thoughts about you as a person are too numerous. What does he think about? You ever think of that? What does he think about? What does he ponder? Why would God make us, and it says this, it's amazing. I, I try to look at a translation in different ways, a little lower than God. In other words, what is it about us that stands out from the rest of creation? Why is it that he would make us so unique that we would be a reflection of who he is? That's an amazing thing that we need to explore. That he would crown us. Listen to what he crowns us <laughs> with glory, with glory and honor. We are seen in the works of God's creation. You think of all the stars and all the worlds, everything that's out there, and the expanse of the universe and all the mountains and everything else, that he crowned us in glory and honor in his creation. Scripture talks about how the angels look at us, and I, I, I interpret it this way, and are kind of dumbfounded at how God just is obsessed with us. I'm sure the angels look at me and go, he's an idiot. <laughs> God, honestly, like, like, you know, he's not that great. But the psalmist says this in Psalm 139. We can't go into all of this, but I want to blow your mind open today. 139 says that each of us was knit together by God. He thought about you. He thinks about you. He designed you. He put you together in your mother's womb. He thought about each day of your life before it happened. He was up close and personal in who you are. When it comes to having a secure identity, okay, for those of faith in God and worship of God, I mean, these things come and go, but they don't stick. And it's true, when something happens to one of these, it shakes our foundation, does it not? It absolutely does. And some, I know for guys, a big thing is often, you know, retirement. 
And, and COVID took away. We lost loved ones, took away jobs, took away security. And one of those things, when it becomes too close or too attached or too stuck to who we are, you can literally wake up in the morning and ask that question, why am I getting up in the morning? Why do I hear? And so our foundation has to come way, way back to go, now if God sees me a certain way, if God thinks about me, if God's planned my days, and he understands who I am, this isn't a surprise to him, and I bear his glory, I bear his image, and I'm honored in his sight, then that's got to give me some kind of footing to get up in the morning and go, wow, today must be an opportunity to bring God glory again, no matter what I'm experiencing. I've been through some life-altering things, and I think some of you have too. And it's okay to be shaken. In fact, some days, I think he shakes us on purpose <laughs> to see what's really at the base. And if you've been shaken and you're just, I don't even know what is the base of my existence right now, then this is a great series for us to start building on. Colossians says, it was, what Colossians is talking about there, just to make sure you have the context, it's to the church and uh, it's talking about how Christ was in the beginning and how important Christ is. And he says, in Christ, God created everything. In the heavenly realms on earth, he made everything we can see and the things we can't see. But this is why creation exists. You ever wonder why we exist? What are we doing here? Everything was created through him and for him. So foundationally, I exist I exist for the pleasure of God. You exist for the pleasure of God. Now, there's things he's created you to do. I do believe that. There's things that he, he has um, it, that he wants to actually celebrate along the journey. And we're going to look at each of those ones as we go through creation. I would say some symptoms of needing, you know, if you've gone through this, and I, I did this list, and I thought, yeah, I need this series just as much as anyone else. There's times when you lack joy and excitement. There are times I get up and I go, what am I here again? What am I doing? I have to reset. This series is for you. Maybe you don't feel like there's much fulfillment in life right now, but this will help you get through that time. Maybe you find yourself, you're still working, and you actually go to work so you don't have to work. Have you ever had those thoughts? I just got to keep working so I don't have to work. That's probably a sign that you need a, a realignment of some of your identity. Some of you say things like, I feel stuck. You ever feel stuck? I'm trapped. I'm trapped in a life that I didn't plan, that I didn't want, I didn't desire. I don't know where I'm going. I don't know where this goes. Then this is helpful. God knows. Maybe you've been living in a life that literally you know is contradicting your moral convictions and you're experiencing on a regular basis shame and guilt and you're in one of those cycles. This series will help realign because I think, I think sin gets root in us primarily when we don't know what we're here for. I really do. I believe we get caught up in sin the easiest when we're unsure of why we exist in the first place. And the enemy gets in there and speaks all kinds of crazy things. I want us to have a biblical identity so that we can have confidence in who we are. I want you to be able to walk around and I'm going to give you eventually, I'm giving you a heads up, a label that says, you are the one 
that God loves. That can be your primary identity. And you can put that label on and know what that feels like to say, I am the one God thinks about. I am the one that God loves. It sounds a little narcissistic. I understand. And we can take that too far. But a base foundation that you are here for God's glory will make you way more confident. You'll become resist, resilient to change. When you retire, when things don't go well, when you don't get the job promotion, when you don't get into the school you want, when things crumble that you're anticipating and hoping for, it'll make you resilient because when the storm comes, you'll have the foundation. It'll give you clarity of your purpose and your meaning. And then you'll be able to define that better going forward. It'll give you direction for your life and your living no matter what stage you're at. It'll give you better relationships with people. You know why? Because you won't need what the world needs out there. What the world needs is a constant state of affirmation. And it's killing people. And they demand because they need it. I need you to tell me I'm good. I need you to tell me who I am. I need you to remind me that I'm accepted and I'm loved. And when I don't have a foundation that God is that for me, then I push it on people. I demand it in my marriage. I demand my kids to perform better because it's part of my identity. And if they make me look bad, I feel bad. And if my spouse doesn't affirm me the way I need them to, then I don't know who I am. And it goes on and on, and I need that. And so for your relationships to be healthy, you have to be fundamentally founded on what God says is true about you. And then you'll be able to handle the relationships that go up and down and the differences of people all around you. My prayer for us is that we in this room, we online, would become founded foundationally on the truth of who God says we are. You were designed to bring him glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. And I'll be honest, there's many days you know me. I wake up and I get confused and I think, today, what am I? <laughs> Why am I doing this? Why am I up again? Why am I alive again? Why do I, why do, I do what I do? We're fickle people. We live in a broken world. And there's people in our room today who have been discouraged. They've been let down. There have been things that they've pursued in their life that haven't panned out. They're in a situation where they don't know how there's a purpose in it. I pray that you would just come alongside us today and that we just remember one thing that we need to put you where you belong. We need to revere you as God. We need to worship you today as our creator and find our meaning and purpose as your created ones. So forgive us for allowing our thinking to go futile, forgiving us for forgetting to give thanks to you, forgetting to worship you the way we should. So realign us today in a proper relationship with you, our creator. Thank you for what you're doing in us today. In Jesus' name, amen.